Welcome to episode two of the Yellow Lady Box podcast series four, supporting autistic girls and gender diverse students at school and beyond. This podcast series is brought to you by the Victorian Department of Education and Training. Join us for this episode where Katie and Natasha discuss what your autistic students and children want you to know with three autistic panellists. We've got M. Hammond from NeuroWild, Hannah Smith from The Atypical Teacher and Louise Chandler, known on Insta as NeuroDivergent Lou. We hope it will provide a valuable source of support, guidance and advice for our community of autistic girls and teens and all of those who support them, including parents, carers and teachers. So let's get underway with episode two. In the spirit of reconciliation, Yellow Ladybugs acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend their respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. everyone, we're Katie Kulas and Natasha Stahili from Yellow Ladybugs and we are so honoured to be opening this conference by bringing you this autistic-led conversation about what your autistic students and children want you to know. We opened this theme last year and it was so powerful that we're doing it again with three incredible new panellists. We're returning to this theme to, to honour the importance of lived autistic experience by drawing on the deep knowledge, the compassion and the expertise of the autistic community. We do this to enlighten teachers, parents and anyone who works with or supports neurodivergent young people. We absolutely love how this panel sets the scene for everything else we cover in this conference and we can't wait to get underway. Joining us today is M. Hammond, better known as NeuroWild. M is an autistic ADHD speech pathologist who works primarily with neurodivergent kids. She's also mum to three neurodivergent kids and spends her free time creating amazing educational illustrations, strip, uh, edu- illustration strips about neurodiversity, and also is illustrating some images for our upcoming book. <laughs> Welcome, M. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> nice. Um, thanks for coming. We also have Louise Chandler. Lou is a 20-year-old autistic undergraduate education student. She is also an Instagram content creator who, through her wonderful neurodivergent Lou Instagram page, documents her journey to finding a place in a neurotypical world and helps other people to find their place in the world too. Welcome, Lou. Hi. Hi. And finally, we have Hannah Smith. Hannah is an autistic high school teacher and published author. You can also find her on Instagram as the atypical teacher, another page we really do love. Hannah strongly believes in the importance of cultivating enriching strength-based learning environments for autistic students by enacting change at a whole school level and by empowering students at an individual level. Hey, Hannah. Hello. Okay, so let's get underway. Let's do this. So we're going to start with the lovely question, which we love. If you could go back in time specifically to tell your teachers, parents or friends what they needed to know about you and your needs as an autistic young person, what would you say? And we're going to ask Em to answer this one first. Um, I love this question. Um, So uh, I would want them to know that I have always been uh, very rules um, you know, I learned the rules quickly because 
I, I needed to get it right because the alternative was potentially getting it wrong and accidentally breaking a rule and then being absolutely crushed under the knowledge that I have disappointed somebody or upset somebody. Um, you know, I've always experienced major rejection, sensitivity, dysphoria, where the idea of upsetting or irritating someone felt like an extreme emergency. You know, it felt like the, the end of the world and it's a feeling that I can't cope with in my, in my body and my brain. So um, it meant that I was not a difficult kid. Um, I was a pleasure. I was a delight to have in class and in my home because I was a serial rule follower perfect in every way and you know my parents and teachers were, were thrilled to have me and I followed their rules perfectly without complaining and to a fault unfortunately I also learned to follow a bunch of rules that no one intended me to learn um, I learned that my own needs were always less important than anyone else's they're actually never important any negative feelings that I had were entirely unwelcome 100% of the time. So I remember once uh, when I was maybe nine or 10 and I loudly expressed my anger towards my brothers um, and I was punished for that outburst um, because I wasn't allowed to do that. You know, that was something that my brothers were allowed to do. They did it daily, but that was not acceptable for me because I was such a good and that is not what good girls do. That's not how we behave. It's not okay. So um, I, I learned the rule. The rule is, is never to share your, your negative feelings. We are going to keep them in and, and push them, you know, deep, deep down. Um, I learned the rule that we do not disagree with anyone because it might make them upset. It might cause conflict. And the rule is to keep everyone happy with me being the exception for some reason. Um, I learned that it's not okay to speak up when people are rude to me or mistreat me or behave in an unacceptable way towards me because that might create conflicts and we don't do that. So I learned that we don't rock the boat and we allow ourselves to stay within a system no matter how damaging it is, no matter how much it hurts, and we don't voice our opinion and potentially annoy people we just get on with it. We don't complain because it's the right thing to do. And we just have to be happy with the way that things are and, and with the life that we've got. And so I practice these rules forever. And then all of a sudden, I am an adult who cannot speak up for myself or others, my kids. I can't disagree with anybody. I can't express an opinion. I can't address when somebody is being hurtful or harmful towards me. The idea of being in a situation and having to do these things is enough to make me panic and shut down. You know, I don't have any of those skills. Like I, I could not even move myself and my baby away from a threatening man in a train carriage at risk of upsetting him in, in the night in, in the city, you know, um, because obviously his feelings were more important than mine and my child's safety. And, and I just tolerate situations like that. And, you know, obviously my parents never intended me to learn, to learn those rules, but I did. And they are really hard to unlearn now as an adult. So 
I wish my adults had seen my people-pleasing, fawning, perfect child behavior and recognized the harm in it as opposed to rewarding it. And I wish they had taught me that my feelings, my opinions, and my comfort and my safety do matter and should not be put aside every single time to please someone else. And like, I, I really wonder what kind of adult I would be now if that had been the case. Wow, Em, that is so powerful. Thank you for sharing that. It's going to resonate really hard with so many people. So thank you. I think we'll just let that absorb. And um, Lou, we'd love to hear what you wish, um, what you would want to tell your adults in your life. Yeah, that was so, so powerful and resonates a lot with my experiences. Um, one of the things that I kind of initially thought about um, in terms of speaking to like teachers in my life or adults in my life was around my sensory needs and how those sensory needs continually went unmet um, because they were hidden, because they were unseen needs. Um, I was continually putting myself in the distress of an education environment in terms of the noise, like the different layers of sound of like the projector and the like buzzing of the projector in school and the squeaking of the chairs and continually putting myself in um, the corridors where there was a lot of like sensory overload of people crushing and shouting um, and hearing the noise of it. Um, and it's like the continual stress of that situation and how a lot of autistic people do end up in these situations of sensory distress and it's very hard to describe when you're a young child in that school environment. I thought that if I just tried harder to mask the sensory issues that I was having it would all be okay and I felt that it was like a try harder situation and I just needed to be better because I thought that everybody else was managing the same levels of distress and discomfort that I was um, but they were just better at hiding it than me. So I think that would be one thing that would have really helped is if that need had been met and if I'd had different types of adjustments to help with the sensory issues, whether that be like being encouraged to wear noise cancelling headphones or having a stim toy or even just having somewhere quiet to go at school or in like the education environment. And then the other thing as well around that is masking and how heavily I mask to fit in. And it was a learnt um, thing I was trying to get my needs met just like with sensory issues I was trying to ensure that I didn't stand out that I made other people happy and that I made sure that I did not seem different and as a result I kept um, making my needs feel less important whether that was like not stimming or not asking for support with sensory needs not asking for support socially so, yeah, lots of different um, masking to make myself feel like my needs were valid. Wow. And again, just to hear that my needs were less important, um, that is, again, just a really, really profoundly important message for us to be getting out there. So thank you so much for sharing that, Lou. Hannah, we'll move on to you now. Um, if I could go back. I wasn't actually diagnosed as autistic until I was 21, so I have no idea that I was even different. I mean, I knew I was different, but I didn't know why. And so if I could go back, the first thing I would want myself to know and everyone else is that I'm actually autistic. 
Um, because I spent so much time wondering what's wrong with me. I knew that I wouldn't fit in. Everyone picked on me. Like I was bullied really, really badly. I even had family and family friends. Every time they saw me, they just had a problem with me. Either I was too interested in something or I wouldn't stop talking about those interests or I was a picky eater, all those sorts of things. There was constantly something's wrong with me. And I spent so much time researching um, literally on like Wikipedia, how to be Hermione Granger, how to be this person, how to like, I would find all these people and just always obsessively how to be Lisa Simpson, how to be this, because that's like what everyone liked. Um, probably not the best characters to try mask as they're probably <laughs> a little bit, you know, spicy themselves. Um, but I was always looking how to be someone else and I would literally make new email addresses like literally every single week to suit that new personality and I would just all that kind of stuff so I wish I could go back and say hey you're actually autistic that's why you're different um it would also help because I had constant panic attacks and uh school avoidance and I would even have uh, seizures um quite a number of times and I've been tested for everything and there's nothing physically wrong with me and so I think it's the brightness um, because it would happen in bright classrooms on trains and I again I didn't realize that that wasn't normal until one day I just said to someone like oh I'm so sick of having like I feel like another siege is coming and I'm so sick of that feeling like how do you stop it and my friends were like but <laughs> we don't get that. Um, so it would have been great to have known that it's this actual, there's a reason behind it and that it could have been fixed with a simple solution like turning off a classroom light. Um, something I wish I could have told my teachers would be uh, on a slightly different topic, but to tell my teachers, I would have wished that they would let me, you know, use my strengths and interests a lot more in class. Like it's really not hard to do that. I did have two teachers who always were open to me using my interests and it worked so well. I got A pluses in their class. Uh, when I stopped having one of those teachers, suddenly I went from A pluses to Cs, um, big difference. And again, it's not hard. Like if you give, as a teacher, I understand how hard it can be to fit the curriculum and then the interests and strengths of like 30 other people um, into an activity. But if you set the parameters, it's actually not hard. Like we're very smart and we'll find a way. We're very determined. We'll find a way for our interests to fit in. Um, so in biology, for example, which is a pretty hard class to be able to fit your interests into, I remember we had to do an experiment looking at bacteria growth on different types of maintenance. Uh, first of all, I'm vegan. And with my strong sense of justice, I did not want to go anywhere near touching that also the taste, the, I mean, not the taste, the feel, the, all of that kind of stuff. Um, so I asked if I could use a vegan mince and then just use the data from other people's meat, but then test vegan mints and give that grew bacteria differently. And my teacher said no, because that's not the assessment and blah, 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 blah. But in my head, and I wasn't even a teacher at that point, but in my head I was like, but I'm still doing the experiment and all those skills on vegan mints. I'm still using data from everyone else's experiments and I'm still looking at bacteria growth, but I'm actually comparing it to another source. Like, why would that be a no? Um, so because of those restrictions, I feel like my potential at school was not really met because teachers just, they just sort of, I feel like a lot of the time, see an assessment and don't realise that it can be changed and also the absolute importance of it being changed for us. So 
I mean, they call us rigid. I think that's a classic example of rigidity, right? Um, I agree. And, Hannah, you brought up an interesting point and it leads us into our next question, actually, because you did speak a little bit about strength. So thank you for that. That was very interesting because we, our next question is asking if there's a particular teacher or part of your schooling experience that you still remember as having a positive impact on your well-being or learning at school. We're going to jump to Lou, then Hannah, and then Em on that I had a really, really supportive teacher in my secondary school um, who really um, supported me and I would just go and speak to this teacher whenever I was having any kind of issues, whether that was like issues related to um, another like another class or issues relating to school in general in like the bigger picture. Um, and she would act as a go-between kind of sorting out any issues that I had making adjustments supporting me to feel comfortable and also just being that safe person to just offload to because I find that a lot of distress would build up for me during the day um all the different things that would happen perhaps it was like a communication struggle that I had or like the overwhelming sensory issues or change of routine um and it would build up and then I'd come home and have meltdowns having someone at school who was then able to support me just to go to and be in the quiet classroom um and go on the spinny chair that she used to have um and yeah just feel comfortable and like for five minutes I could be myself and I could stim and I could be comfortable and I could talk and I could talk authentically and not worry about how I came across or how I communicated was just incredibly like positive and it meant that I could actually engage with my lessons and engage with the learning and have friends and feel supported um, rather than just feeling like I was going um, going into an environment where I had to face everything alone and be by myself and navigate all the things that came with being an autistic person in an education system that was difficult. So I think having someone on like your side or even just letting like young people know that you are a safe person and they can come and talk to you no matter how like silly it felt to me at the time um it like just being able to talk about it was so incredibly important oh Lou you've you've hit the nail on the head in such a beautiful way and we're going to talk a lot about it throughout this conference relational safety and the power of that and the difference it makes and how you remember that all these years later. So any teachers listening, just know the impact it makes, being someone's safe person years later, giving the student the chance to just exhale and be themselves is so powerful. So thank you, Lou, for sharing that. Um, Hannah, we're going to quickly jump to you to, is there another positive experience you remember from a teacher at school? Yeah, sorry. I had two teachers who were absolutely amazing and I talk about them you know 3,000 days after they first had an impact um my English teacher was amazing he encouraged all my interests actually I remember the first time in his class he asked us to introduce ourselves with three with three facts and everyone's like oh I don't know but I was like I love sharks I'm gonna be a prime minister of Australia and I love Britney Spears and he was like okay you're really cool <laughs> so um he always encouraged me and we always, every time he was on duty, I was that really annoying kid, but I would go talk about sharks and 
politics every single duty without missing uh, a single time um and just talking to him about that made me feel like oh I'm actually not that weird like we can have intellectual conversation about those things um and he knew I was interested in that stuff so he put me onto debating because he knew that's a place where I would fit in and belong and even though I didn't fit in with the others in the team like it was still that space and he let me uh, go really far with that so I would also debate up a year level I became the captain like he gave me all those opportunities so that I was able to work with my strength and interest um, when I was getting bullied I told him everything uh, as well as some personal stuff that was going on at home and he always advocated and passed it on to the right people who would then say that I'd bring it on myself blah 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 but he would always fight back and advocate really hard um, and he allowed me to use my interests in class as well. So somehow I ended up putting political spins on all of my English assessments. Um, my legal studies teacher was also an amazing teacher for very different reasons. She was one of those really strict teachers where the rules are the rules, you cannot break it or you know you're going to get in so much trouble. And I loved that so much because it meant that no one was allowed to do anything wrong and it didn't matter on her mood or it didn't matter on who her favourites were. Pretty sure it was me. Um, but she, the rules were the rules and that was a very safe space. Um, she would always defend me when I was getting bullied. So she would shut down the bullying but then go that step further to say, like, actually, I want to hear what you have to say. You deserve to have that voice. And she would always acknowledge my strengths. Um, so just always finding opportunities to say, oh, hey, I really liked your writing and your homework. It's so articulate, blah, 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 which meant a lot. And in both of those classes, because I had a lot of school avoidance, when I had that teacher for English and then legal studies, I actually wanted to go to school and I wanted to be in their classroom. It wasn't just, oh, well, if I'm going to miss a day, it might as well not be today. But like it was that I actively wanted to be there because being in their room, even though what my bullies were in their classrooms, uh, being there was so fun and enriching and safe. So that was that. that's beautiful, um, Hannah, and I can't believe like I'm crying because um, I never cry. A and B, um, it's weird when trauma just creeps up on you, and just you describing teachers being a safe place reminds me of being at school and only having teachers as friends, and it's just such a powerful thing. So thank you for sharing that. It means a lot. Um, M, we'd love to jump to you next, please. Uh, yeah, my example is a little bit different to both of those. Um, so I had been in. Uh, the same friend group since year two, the same kind of four or five people. And and when we went to high school, um, the group got a bit bigger to include, you know, more girls. And the dynamic changed in high school to be kind of, we hate everyone, we hate everything, we hate school, we hate our family, we hate our parents, we're not going to get good grades. It's really um, embarrassing to try at school and um we just were so hate-filled and, and we want to spend our time um, being really nasty to everybody else. And I was really miserable in that group because I just wanted to come to school, learn the content, get good grades, and then leave. And I didn't want any of that other garbage that was happening. But this was the group that I was in. So I masked and I pretended every day to be like that. Um, which was awful. And, you know, I, I would walk walk out of school where I'd spent all day being that awful, awful, hateful person 
and go home to my bright yellow room filled with Care Bears, filled with sun catches, filled with rainbows and, and playing um, 90s pop music, Britney Spears. And um, my mum noticed and she was baffled by this other persona that I had to use at school, um, but it was never mentioned uh, in a conversation or anything that she, she noticed and it was strange. Um, and then in year 12, my, my closest and oldest friend left our group she left in year 12 and just went to join another group across the, the courtyard, um, a group of boys, all boys, clever boys, boys who were shy but really nice, um, the boys who were at the top of the class, the boys who played Halo and they read books for fun and they, they wanted good grades and they had big plans. And my friend went and joined their group. I did not know that you could just leave the group that you had been in for your entire school career and just find another group um but I I kind of like I had permission like I so I followed my friend and I joined that group and I got to unmask and be appreciated for my like quirkiness and my intelligence and my good grades and my work ethic and like I had friends who wanted to study with me and they wanted to talk about assignments and exams and, and the lesson and like I had the best year of school that I had ever had and so the point I'm making this time is like it is so important to have that opportunity to be around like-minded people who get you. Like I, I would not have been able to do that in my final year if I hadn't seen my friend do it first. It was a rule that I didn't know I was allowed to break, but I got lucky because I saw her break it. I said, oh, my God, I can maybe break it too, and I did. And I found the unmasked, and authentic social connections that I had never, ever, ever before. You found your people, Em, and I'm crying again and I don't know why um, because my daughter's going through this exact same thing and, and, again, it's actually with boys that she's able to be her authentic self and find her people. Um, and what's interesting about what you said is not knowing that you had that choice to do that. And so I guess... Now, if we're going to go on to the next question about unmet needs, but having those conversations with our ladybugs so that they're aware they can make those decisions, that they're not bound by these rules and giving them the opportunity to, to know they can do that is powerful. So all three of your examples was chef kiss. Thank you for that. I'm going to pass Thank on you. to you, Natasha. Yep. Okay, moving on, shake it off. Um, <laughs> so thinking about your hidden or unmet needs, what barriers did you experience at school and what difference would it have made if these barriers had been removed or acknowledged and your needs accommodated? And you've all touched on this already, but let's dig a little deeper on this. Um, so Hannah, we'll go you, then M, then Lou. Um, I guess I have two main points here, but the first one being on a social emotional level, uh, I was, as I've mentioned, really bullied at school and that was my biggest barrier ever. Um, so I really needed my teachers to care more about my safety than their approval of the cool kids in class because I feel like that is what they actually cared about most. My history teacher, all of our class dynamic was very much a clique and every relationship that she actually had was built on sarcasm and inside jokes and all those real, I, I, I still don't understand it, but that kind of stuff. Um, so it was really hard to ask her for help when, her clique were my bullies and they you know 
they may say something sarcastically and then I'd respond thinking they were serious and then like it was me overreacting and things like that. So it would have been good if, uh, you know, she actually just did her job and cared for me. Um, and yeah, just like another example, that was my maths teacher asking my entire class of bullies uh, why I can't just be normal like everyone else. So it would have been fantastic if my teachers were a bit more sensitive uh, to my safety. Um, but on a learning point of view, I was very smart as a kid, um, but didn't really realise that so much at school um, because nothing was done about it. You know, like I was writing when I was two and reading when I was three and reading chapter books when I was five, including John Amar Stilson, which is super figurative. Um, but it would, yeah, I, I didn't get very good grades. And I, well, I mean, I got good grades, but not as good as it could have been. And I feel like what I really needed was some clear scaffolding. So even though I was like a B average student or sometimes, sometimes C average student, uh, just to have that clear scaffold of this is what a biology report looks like and here is an example so that you can mimic the language because that's what I'm really good at and that is why I did really well in debating and English and legal studies because of probably legal studies because I copied off my English and debating style but like in English and debating I always had that scaffold always had an example to look at they were always a standard examples um, because you know, even if someone's getting D's or C's, I feel like giving them that top example will help push them there. So I feel like that would have helped me um, even more. That's so interesting, Lou. Um, Hannah, sorry. You, yeah, I think, first of all, safety, so important, feeling safe. It just nothing happens until you, you have that. And then I think you've really hit on different learning styles, different ways of doing things, being smart and finding the way to be smart in the way that works for you. So, um, yeah, thank you so much for that. So, Em, we'll move on to you now. I relate so much to that specific example about, like, the essays to have a look at because um, I could write a band six English essay every time and I could not transfer that over to write a decent drama essay and I did. I was never provided that example, like, what am I doing wrong here? Surely it's the same. It wasn't. Um, so my example... Um, I was fortunate in that I was able to find interest in most of my subjects. So that combined with my uncontrollable need to please all of the adults in my life meant that I could usually pull it together and focus and get the work done and get a pretty decent grade. I did it because I was expected to. And as you recall, I was not going to disappoint anyone. Um, but there were some subjects I could never even get close to learning because of the way that the content was delivered. So history and geography is my big example. Um, the class was always structured the same. It was, come in, we have a 25-minute video that is black and white, rubbish sound quality. The picture does this and there's static. And then, so we're going to watch that and then we're going to spend the rest of the lesson doing written questions about the video. So come in and sit still and in silence for 45 minutes, try and watch this video that we cannot find any kind of personal relevance or meaning in, and then try and answer questions about that video that we were absolutely unable to pay attention to. So I have literally like zero knowledge of history and geography now. Not, not a single bit of learning occurred in those classes. And it's because of the way that the content was delivered 
it, it was entirely incompatible with my learning style. Like I could not line up my mental ducks to be able to access the content in that way. Um, things that would have helped me to access that content would have been discussions and group work, uh, projects and acting things out and moving around or debating or excursions or giving speeches or art-based something or hands-on learning or music-based something or games. Or um, I've recently learned that I am a verbal processor, which means that I will learn it if I can talk about it. Um, unfortunately, my history teacher had pretty well the opposite learning and teaching philosophy. You know, kids obviously had to be silent to learn. <laughs> this didn't work for me. Uh, so I would really love to see our neurodivergent kids having their learning styles explored and then supported at school. So using our interests or just the, the way that we learn and going, um, you know, a multimodal or universal learning design, something like that, because I would love to see them taught the way that they learn would be. <laughs> Yay. Yes. Yes. Hallelujah. <laughs> Honestly, that is, that is so fascinating. And yeah, let's let's make learning interesting and engaging. And um, I know H Hannah, as a high school teacher, you you believe in this too. Look, let, let's make content engaging for all students because it benefits everyone when we're catering to different learning needs. So and styles. So I was a history major, and um, that approach did nothing for me as well. To be completely honest, I had to find other ways to access that information and make it living and interesting and relevant so yes <laughs> let's do that thank you um Lou we're going to finish with you yeah I totally relate to everything that's been said um I even as an adult I'm constantly linking information to my like autistic special interests so that I can get it into my brain um if I link it to my interest it will stay so I think that can be a really good approach in terms of in the classroom is knowing um, children and young people's special interests and using them um, in a positive way but also harnessing strengths like in terms of for me I love attention to detail and looking at things in the like the most detail possible so like in terms of essays or like written pieces of work I loved like looking at the specific details in things and really zooming in and utilizing as much as I could and then it made me happy it made me feel like I could explore it how I would like to and it gave me control over my learning which is something that I think is massive like when I feel in control and like supported and like I can choose how I'm learning it definitely makes a big difference because I really struggle with like being told what to do so yeah, that really helps. I think also another barrier in terms of education is like constant change and unpredictability. So for example, like we would have lots of supply teachers, like your teacher's off sick. So you have a cover teacher come in um, and it would be really unexpected. You like walk into a classroom, there's someone that you don't know, there's a new set of rules, expectations, which aren't explained. You don't know then what's going to happen. Um, and that can be really, really stressful as an autistic person. Your whole day is then completely thrown up in the air um, and everywhere, like the whole world is chaotic already. And now you've just got another thing to cope with. So I think like it would have really helped me if it was given as much warning as possible 
and if I was supported through that change and like that transition rather than it just being walking in and like there's someone new and then you've got a whole new set of demands to cope with so I think like giving as much warning and preparation and like reducing that stress where possible can be really really helpful so true Lou such a powerful point and actually you did talk about encompassing interests in helping you learn and I want teachers parents to understand this point a bit better because sometimes we hear use interests as a reward at the end of learning and that's not what we want to explain at all do we we want to encompass our interest in how we learn like it needs to be natural and organic and not forced and not as dangled as a carrot that if we sit down for 40 minutes, then we get to engage in our interests. That's not what we're explaining is that we're saying let's use our interests to help us learn and it needs to be led by us, not taken as a way of teachers, you know, trying to get us to comply in a way. Would we agree with that? Is there any other points on that we want to make or should we move on to the next question? Might move on because <laughs> there's so much to cover and all your answers have been incredible. So our next question, I know we went back in time, but now to talk about what you'd wish your teachers knew, but now I'd like to sort of shift gears and think about now today's teachers already in the school system at the moment. Tell me from your own perspective what it means to be an autistic child and how they can use this knowledge to support their young autistic ladybugs in the classroom. We're going to jump to Hannah first on this one. Uh, For what it means to me to be an autistic child is that autism is not a disorder. It is just a different brain type that is supposed to exist in the exact same way that we have different hair colours and eye colours and things like that. So, therefore, now that we know this information and we know that even if it was a disorder, we shouldn't be ignoring those kids anyway. But now that we understand um, autism and how simple it really is to make things more inclusive, We now have to actually use that knowledge to change the entire culture of education and have a huge paradigm shift in that system. And to not do that is to be entirely negligent um, and to completely reject, like, students' rights to have that education. Um, And I think, sorry, was the next part of the question um, one piece of advice to do that? Yes. That's right. Okay. We're just nodding along on how powerful that statement was, but yes. Cool. Okay. So then uh, there's obviously so much to say on that, but I think one one main piece of advice uh, coming to behaviour management or classroom management is what I prefer, um, it relates to that, but we need to change our perception of what autism is and what behaviours are therefore acceptable in a classroom. So, for example, when my bullying was reported to school, the response was, um, it was always about my interest in sharks. The response from school was, well, why do sharks keep on coming up in every single class that you have? Clearly, like, you're the common denominator. You're the one that's causing it. You're bringing it on yourself. That wasn't said to me. That was said to teachers about me. Um, And I promise you, I did not bring up the topic of sharks once in any of my classes, because why would I do that? Uh, when I'm just going to get bullied. But I guess, like, the advice then is when you see a student doing something that you want to get them in trouble for, you think that they're bringing on themselves, they're not. Actually think about the behaviour and either what it's communicating or a strength in it or something else. 
Um, so for example, before you go and reprimand an autistic student for, let's say, overreacting, let's just say it's a nice, seemingly quiet room and a kid, you know, overreacts to a situation, suddenly they're yelling. I have seen so many times that kid get in trouble. But really, when I say, what's wrong, what happened? They'll say, those people are picking on me, but they've been doing this all day, like, you know, things like that. And these bullies are very strategic and manipulative. They are being quiet when they're bullying. It can be a look, it can be a glare, it can be a really quiet comment that is not disrupting the class, but it's hurting that kid. And so, yes, that kid's reaction may be disrupting the class, but, like, it's for a reason and they're not trying to disrupt the class. Um, so, and same applies to other behaviours. So just, like, consider what you're actually responding to before you get them in trouble. Again, for example, if a kid's calling out answers enthusiastically or info dumping, instead of saying stop calling out or, you know, you're being irrelevant, blah, 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 doing that is just reinforcing to other students that, yes, that kid's annoying and all that stuff. Whereas if you say, oh, I love your enthusiasm, you're so into this, uh, remember to put your hand up so that everyone can have a turn and so things don't get off track, that's positive. Um, or also saying something if they're off topic and info dumping, maybe just saying, oh, you are so smart, I love all your ideas. Um, unfortunately, we don't have much time in class today, so maybe write it in your book, come talk to me later and we can chat all about it when I'm on duty. Things like that to make it more positive. Um, so, yeah, my big advice is reframe your thinking of autism and then respond better in behaviour management. I love that, Hannah. And um, we know that behaviour is a sign of an unmet need or a signal. So that's what we're all discussing at the conference. So that's definitely nailed it on the head. Um, Lou, we'd like to go to you. What's one thing you'd like to tell today's teachers about what it means to be an autistic child? Yeah, I think that really follows, like my point really follows on from what Hannah's just said in terms of, as an autistic child I definitely felt like I was broken in some sense and I think it's so important for autistic like for teachers to support autistic children to feel empowered and to be able to celebrate their identity to feel valued to understand who they are because I think fundamentally as autistic people we often struggle with a sense of self and it's like related to how society talks to us or treats us and that whole um, struggles of being an autistic person in a world that is different so I think yeah it's really important for teachers to celebrate neurodiversity going beyond like just talking about it but celebrating it busting the myths around autism and really kind of supporting autistic children to feel that they can be in an education system and they can be in the environment rather than expecting them to mold and adjust and fit into a system that fundamentally isn't working for them so I think it's about like celebrating all the amazing autistic people out there celebrating what it means to be autistic connecting autistic children with other autistic children and giving them that chance to see themselves and to feel um, that they belong and I think having like autistic adults or disabled adults to come in and talk can be so amazing in terms of like that representation and seeing other adults or other children like you I think there's a massive sense of community that needs to be harnessed and I think teachers are really well placed to do that whether that's celebrating neurodiversity celebration week whether that's just discussing autism like generally in terms of when it comes up in like 
topics or like conversations um I think yeah that can make such a massive difference to children and young people I love that and we definitely talk about celebrating neurodiversity how important it is to bring in to the classroom curriculum I like how you said neurodiversity that's a practical way neurodiversity week we've got go yellow April 2nd um we're trying to reclaim that date to make it a more neuro affirming one there's so many ways that we can introduce it to introduce students to their identity and their culture celebrate their culture Lou that was great advice we're going to uh, finish this question off with M, please. Um, thank you, Lou and Hannah, because you both said things that I wanted to say and then did not have time to add in on top of my thing. So um, loved hearing you both put that so eloquently. Um, what I want teachers to know is that autism is a dynamic disability. So that means that our capacity to do well and our capacity to meet expectations fluctuates massively from day to day, hour to hour. It means that our best on one day can look really different to our best on another day. On this day, trying our best might look like high concentration, lots of beautiful writing, um, great problem solving skills and being really regulated and kind of going with the flow in the classroom. And on this day, trying our best might look like patchy concentration, not producing much writing, um, difficulty problem solving and, and being quite emotional or maybe explosive. We are still trying our best on both of these days. But on this day, we are working within a body and a brain that are finding it really hard. Um, as Dr. Ross Green says, I'm a big fan, kids do well if they can. For teachers, please do not look at the work that we produce or our response to a situation or our behaviour and then make a judgement about how much effort you think we have put in. We are always putting in big effort, but that does not always translate into good grades or neat work or task completion or good behaviour in the classroom. Um, my advice, this is an, in an ideal world, I would love for teachers to, um, you know, look at the work we produce or, or our response. And if we're meeting expectations, I want teachers to think this kid has tried her best and the conditions were right for her to succeed with this task today. And if you look at our work and our response and we have not met your expectation at this time, I want teachers to think this kid tried her best, but the conditions were obviously not ideal for her at this time. And this could be that the environment was wrong, the instructions were unclear, or she was lacking resources or specific skills or mental energy. Maybe she was dysregulated. Maybe she was unable to access her executive function skills during this task. It is not that she hasn't tried hard today it's not that she wasn't bothered or that she was choosing to be uncooperative or defiant. It is nothing to do with her attitude. Her level of effort, our level of effort, is not the thing that needs addressing. It is all of those other factors that have gotten in the way. That is what I would love teachers to be aware of front and centre. Oh, amazing. We were just yeah. like, yes, light bulb. <laughs> yeah, such important 
advice there. It could you've just made that so clear and so accessible. And kids do well if they can. And my goodness, they are trying so hard. Um, and we need to acknowledge that. And that point about what are the conditions, the external environment, that is absolutely fundamental to supporting our kids at school. So thank you so much for that, Em. So we're going to take things a step up now um, and look at systemic change. Yay. <laughs> so you are all strongly committed to advocating for a society that embraces autistic culture through your social media platforms, which are all amazing. I'm going to ask you now to think back to when you were at school and think about what you know now. How do you think we can empower teachers, schools and policymakers to recognise, embrace and celebrate autistic culture, neurodivergent culture in our education settings? Why is this systemic change so important? Because we know it is. So, Em, I'm going to ask you to lead off with that again. Ready for that? How are we going to do it? I don't think I included it. Um, education is how we're going to do it. That's number one. But um, the main thing is we need to move away from conformity in schools towards diversity and inclusion. So kids in schools are often expected to conform to neurotypical expectations, behaviour, learning styles, pathways, expressions, appearance and thought patterns and social communication styles, like all of it. And that starts in kindy where the expectation is first established. Everyone needs to act the same, do the same things, do the same work, dress the same, learn the same, behave the same, play the same. This is just a ridiculous expectation. Kids are not the same. And it's so devastating seeing our kids forced into this neurotypical box. It's so damaging to think that you are not good enough unless you are in that box. We were not made to fit into this box. And there is such an opportunity for primary teachers in particular to teach our kids from a really young age. People are different. It's not a hard concept. You know, everyone has a unique brain and learning style and communication style, and none of them are bad or wrong, but some are going to be more familiar to you. Everyone in class has things that they're good at and different ways of learning. And let's explore what everybody's learning style is to make the, to make sure that we're supporting all of our classmates um, in the way that they learn best. Like, it is that simple. Why can't we do that? <laughs> But it should not be, you know, this is the gold standard of learning and existing at school and everyone else outside of that is less good, less valid and less important. Kids don't show up to kindy thinking that. They, they come with probably more often than not a pretty open mind and they learn that from their teachers. Here's the way the world works. Day one of kindy. Imagine if they learned the opposite the curriculum wow yeah mm. so important and i'm just going to say that again we need to move away from conformity and towards diversity and recognizing that all kids are different and that that should be celebrated so amazing stuff thank you so much em um hannah we're going to go to you with this now um, what just what Em was saying, that just shows how important it is to have autistic representation when it comes to making policies and within schools because everything Em said, I don't think there's a single autistic person who will find that difficult to do. And yet when you go to schools and say, hey, here are some ideas for what we could do instead, they everyone just acts like it's this really big challenge to include us, but it's not. So uh, first of all, how we can enact change would be to have 
actually autistic people and other neurodivergent people included in the, you know, the inclusive education strategies and speaking to teachers and things like that. Um, but the reason why it's so important is that the system needs to change because the autistic children back in the day who were on the receiving end of a lot of those support strategies put in place by neurotypical uh, companies, I guess, um, they are the, um, sorry, I can't speak. They are now the autistic adults speaking out today and saying how harmful that is. And I'm thinking about things like ABA and educational segregation, um, presuming incompetence in class just based on an autistic diagnosis. And the harm of that is evident in the fact that 96.7% of autistic students experienced educational restriction based on 2015 ABA data, which is a ridiculous number and 48% of autistic students were segregated from mainstream classes entirely according to the same year of data. And Australia has a commitment to the Salamanca statement which means that every single student needs to be included in the classroom not segregated and so clearly we are failing at that, that data is not old and so the most important thing that we need to do to change that system is to unlearn the medical model and deficit-based view of autism and then learn the neurodiversity model. Um, I feel like, you know, being a teacher, going to PDs or seeing what PDs are suggested for teachers to go to about autism, uh, they're still very outdated um, and run by non-autistic people. Um, but also, even when there is something good, so I've had opportunities to speak to teachers um, at my school and other schools about autism, but like even if we say the neurodiversity model like they need to unlearn the old stuff they actually need to have the opportunity to learn like what is wrong with what you currently think but then sometimes people are a bit sensitive to that and say oh no don't offend anyone like we're all trying our best our intention is good and I get that but <laughs> you need to know what's wrong uh, before you can know what's right so anyway given we have seen the harms of the current system then it means that we need to change our practices whether you are a parent or a teacher or a psychologist or an ot or whatever else you are to then be inclusive of other neurotypes because the world does not need to be neuronormative it can be inclusive wow you've hit on some really big topics here and thank you for having the the sort of the the desire to do that and look we we use our voice every day in every way we can in Yellow Ladybugs to advocate for this sort of change and there are opportunities there and it's just being bold enough to take those steps. So thank you so much for sharing those insights. Um, Lou, we'll get you to finish on this question. Yeah, so in terms of why is it so important, I think autistic children like any other children deserve to thrive and this kind of support works for all children in terms of teaching about difference in terms of moving away from conformity in terms of looking at individual needs and really using that to flourish that works for all children and um, currently autistic children are struggling and um, autistic children young people and adults deserve to feel that they belong and deserve to um, for society to actually meet us halfway and for the world to be a better place we need to move towards a world which is more accepting and understanding and that will work better for everybody so yeah I think it's super important and um, 
in terms of getting there, I think it is about like looking at what is working well in the system already. Like individual teachers, I know, for example, from the example shared today, individual teachers are making a massive difference and really honing in on those areas of good practice and like thinking, this is what really works. How can we get that message out there? This is what is working. Um, and also on a wider scale, looking at how we can support um, autistic, like the education systems as a whole to look at individual needs and kind of um, including autistic people in every single consideration around education and thinking really at the front of the, like in front of our minds, how is that going to impact different groups and how can we really support to make this like impact in the best way possible? So in terms of like behavior policies, thinking actually, if we're going to talk about like um, calling out or if we're going to talk about like sitting in a certain way, are we actually being included? Like, how are we making that inclusive? So on a policy level, on an individual level, level and just really celebrating autistic children and young people um, and like giving them the message in terms of like whether that's celebrating autism and neurodiversity as a whole, like giving that message that you are good enough and you are welcome here. I think that's super important too. Thank you, Lou. And you um, you really explained well that there are teachers that are on an individual level making a difference. We see you. We thank you. We know how difficult, Hannah was saying, how difficult it is coming with the solutions and the ideas and met with the system that's not willing to change. Keep going. We'll work from the ground up. We're going to try and work this system down and hopefully it meets and we start seeing some change because it's happening. But um, it's just taking some time and we we see everyone out there that's trying to make a difference. So keep going. So it's been an honestly a great start to the conference. We're going to jump in with one last bonus question. It only in a minute or so if we can answer this. And, and I know this is a very powerful thing to ask, but um we're wondering if you could consider your own story again and what you would like to tell your younger self. What would have helped you? Um, what message would you have liked to give in yourself? And we might start with Lou first on that one. So the message that I would give to my younger self is the things that you struggle with now, you are now harnessing and using for good and for greater good and you will learn to love the things that you once really struggled with and society taught you that were wrong about yourself and use them for good. And I think that relates to in education systems, rethinking how we're looking at autistic children and young people and thinking, wow, this thing that they're struggling with now, they can go on and use that as power and to help or to do a certain thing. Um, I think reframing what are struggles and actually thinking, this has been positive I think it's really like helpful in terms of yeah autistic children oh Lou that's beautiful and we love you neurodivergent Lou and everything you do do and boy you use your strengths to create such a big ripple of change so thank you we see you and we thank you for that um we're going to jump to Han Hannah quickly what's something that you want to tell your younger self um, I would just say that there is nothing wrong with you and keep on doing what you love and keep on doing it relentlessly and ignore anyone who doesn't like that um, and don't lower yourself to the standards 
that they have of themselves um, when you can use your unique strengths to like embrace them and achieve absolutely anything and everything. And you will achieve everything that you want to by using those strengths. Beautiful, Hannah. Keep loving those sharks and making a difference as a teacher. We're so grateful that there's teachers out there now expressing their neurodivergence. It makes a massive difference. So we love you too. Um, And continuing the love fest, Em, what's your message to your younger self? Uh, I would tell me to lean into your weirdness and don't make yourself small to fit into a box that you were never meant to fit into. Um, you know, when you really embrace all those different colourful and quirky bits of you, you will attract the right kind of people and that's where you find your authentic and joyful social connections uh, in relationships along the way. And also do not grow your hair out. We we hate it and we look far cuter with a short. So in mind. <laughs> we love your short hair and that's such a nice little message. Um, yeah, I think I had short hair and I cut it one day to fit in and I'm the opposite, grow your hair out. But um, thank you so much to each of you. This has been such a powerful way to begin the conference. I think we're just going to have the light bulb on throughout it. It was just so good. Um, thank you for all, each of your time. Let's hope everyone tuning in at home listens, absorbs, and then shares this message because we need it to get into the hands of the people who aren't tuning into this conference. So please share it far and wide as much as you can. So thank you, Em, so much. Um, NeuroWorld, we're going to share um, links so that you can follow each of these incredible panellists. Thank you, Hannah, the atypical teacher, and Lou, neurodivergent Lou. Thank you, each of you so much and thank you Natasha for opening today's conference thank you thank you for listening to episode two of our series supporting autistic girls and gender diverse students at school and beyond please be sure to check out the resources attached to this podcast for more information and if you found this content useful please share it with your community. In our next episode, we will be discussing reframing behaviour with Mona Dalla-Hook and Dr Ross Green. We look forward to you joining us then.